right, everybody. Welcome to Sam and Scott are watching Watchmen. Uh, if you're joining us today for the first time, this is part two of a multi-part series designed to help introduce and discuss the source material for the HBO show Watchmen. If you are unfamiliar with the story or like to start your stories from the beginning of the story, <laughs> you may want to see our episode on issue one. All right. All right, so what's going on, Scott? Hey, Sam, what's up? I'm ready to talk about the greatest superhero story ever told, and that is Watchmen. Oh, man, it's so exciting to be here to talk about that. As Scott said, we are on the second issue. So if you're following along um, each episode of this, of this podcast series, we're going to go into each issue. And for newbies, it should be a really good primer, <coughs> excuse me, a really good follow along for you to um, get a really good, uh, to answer your questions and really get in depth to understand some of the concepts and themes that are involved in these issues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what we want to do is we want to get you familiar with the source material because we've been told we have it on good authority. We're insiders <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> this is going to be a sequel uh, to the original comic. All right, uh, all right. So we feel like you may want some of the context of what's going on and what's happened, or maybe you just uh, feel lazy and you don't want to actually read the comic. You want to listen to us instead. I think the comic's pretty good. You should you should read it. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. You can do both. <laughs> um, all right, so um, to get a little bit of house cleaning out the way, you definitely want to reach us at Twitter, um, at Neurocyclopedia, and also um, for the podcast at Watchmen Podcast. That's with a one at the end. Um, that, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that Twitter handle is Watchmen Podcasts. One, there's no T, and they said it was going to be like an extra 20 bucks for the T. I said, no way, can't afford that. We're going to put the money right into the production, giving the people what they want, right. which is more more podcasting. <laughs> yes. and, wow. and that's spelled out W A T C H M E N P O D C A S 1. All right. Yeah. Um, also email us at watching watchmen at Neurocyclopedia. Also, you'll see all our links and everything right on our website at Neurocyclopedia.com. So don't hesitate to go there. If you, um, if you, if you don't like anything that we say, you could always hashtag us too. I'm at hate Sam. And I'm at uh, hate Scott. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you don't like something we have to say, you disagree, you got a correction, something like that. Feel free to email us like Sam. So we'd love to hear from you. We love to hear from our nerd psychos. That's what we're calling our fans. All so, right. All you, you nerd psychos people, out there. All three of you. you we, know, lo like, <laughs> we love you. <laughs> we all, love like, our nerd like, psychos. Like, like Scott said, all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so um, before we jump into the second issue, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of, um, you know, one thing I'm doing kind of as part of this to make sure that, you know, what we're providing, you know, the new person, the new reader is a good recap and we're on the same page as I'm actually having my, uh, my wife read through this comic book for the first time. And All right. uh, I wanted to share some of, some of her impressions because I think, you know, uh, you know, obviously when I, the first time I read this, I was a teenage boy. So my, uh, you know, uh, my general worldview is going to be a little different than hers. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so she said she had a lot to say about Rorschach actually. Um, she she thought Rorschach, she was like what's Rorschach's problem because he so he, she said he's really judgmental, um, but she can tell he was really smart because he figured out where the comedian stash was in like three seconds, uh, which we talked about those panels. Um, she also is hoping that Hollis Mason's book makes an appearance later in, in the in the story, <laughs> and she wants to she's really excited to read that. So I told her that she can look forward to that. I spoiled that a little bit. All right, all right, you're right. So yeah, try, try try not to spoil too much. I mean, we want her to get into the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't want anyone confused when they start and they start. And Jeremy Irons is suddenly someone you know. You're like, who's that guy? <laughs> you don't want that happening. Uh, so yeah, so definitely, you know, if you're listening to us now, you can you've, you found us somewhere or on iTunes. I know you can get us on our website as well, right, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. And that is again nerdcyclopedia uh, dot com. So come on, join the nerd psychos and. Uh, you know, feel free to uh, listen to our uh, to our content. Um, without further ado, I think it's time that we begin episode two or chapter two. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into this. We are calling it "I'm the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so the main action of chapter two takes place at the funeral of the comedian. So the comedian still dead, still very dead. Um, so the funeral starts, and we kind of see a graveyard, but then immediately we're taking to California because John has teleported Silk Spectre 2 
to go visit Silk Spectre 1. All right, her mom. White hair. That's right. That's right. <laughs> White hair Silk Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> so Sally and Lori are together. And, you know, Lori's kind of. Lori, Lori, uh, Lori Jupiter. Jupiter it's kind of having a or just have, just epic. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna call him one and two, man. I, I don't want to. I, I get tongue tied. <laughs> so so Silk Spectre two is kind of dealing with her her mother, who's who's sort of portrayed as a touch difficult and demanding. I think is maybe the way I would say it. Right. right. She's a very domineering domineering person, and you know Silk Spectre sort of is nostalgic for for the old days. Right. Right. She is. She has this nostalgia for the late 30s, early 40s when she was this super. Um, she was like this this pop culture icon, you know. Yeah, she and, was a um, she was a, a sex magnet, you know. Oh yeah, she was a sex symbol. <laughs> yeah, she was a sex symbol, you know, and really got a lot of um a, a, a lot of a lot of uh, what do you, what I what, what I want to say here a lot of um <sighs> give me the right word there, Scott. Attention. And a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah. And then she shows her daughter a Tijuana Bible, some fan center. You know what I mean? It's about her. <laughs> and a Tijuana Bible, as described in this, is a short pornographic magazine. Um, oh, man. So that's, that's an that's, interesting that's, thing to share with her grown daughter. And, and that's really super hilarious, though, because um, if you look back in the 50s and 60s, um, you know, at, well, at, least, at least back then, you know, mm-hmm. they did um, do like a lot of those crazy cartoons and stuff. And, you know, um, she had a lot of fans because of, you know, because of her being a, a, a costume adventure and, and, you know, a superhero. Well, costume adventure, as they call it in the books. So, of mm-hmm. course, you're going to have your fans. You're, and it really, really touches on like the down to earthness of like this universe and everything that you had this, um, you know, you had this notoriety and everything. And you have people actually wanting to send you. um um um, porno books you know uh stuff because they just idolize you so much yep they said uh, i think what what is um what is silk specter 2 says is that the dude that uh is that the dude that uh wanted your costume (laughs) 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 so like you know there's a there's like sort of a like a niche sort of collector-y kind Mm -hmm. of um you know uh scene growing up around uh Around these guys, which you see actually, because remember last episode we talked about Adrian Veet and we talked about his line of superhero action figures, right? And how they were immensely popular. So, so th- there is some like, there is some sort of residual like memory of these mass adventures being, you know, there's a, there's a certain segment of the population that likes them still. Yeah, and she she's sort of like reminiscing and everything. Lori, she's she's really you know finds it offensive, but mm-hmm. her mom being as old as she is, um, she's just thinking back on all the good times. She doesn't want to remember like you know the um, she really doesn't want to remember like the bad parts of what she was doing because that was a time and period in her life that she really treasured, and she's trying to. Uh, she's trying to really get over to Lori. Well, you may think that that things were like bad back then and, you know, just doing it was just idiotic as far as costume adventuring. But to her, her mom, she feels that it was like, you know, a great time in her life, you know? Um, and she, that's just something that she just, she's just trying to get across to Lori, especially with those books, because it basically just saying that, um, it was a good time to remember. I had some, you know, fans and everything. And this is, this is how I felt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. was flattered by that, right? She liked the she she enjoyed the attention because it was on her terms. Because she presented herself as a silk specter, so she feels empowered by it. Her daughter disagrees, right. <laughs> sees it as something else. So uh, it's a generational schism. One of them, yeah, right? A couple, yeah. There's a couple of those right. in this book. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we are, you know, there's some intercuts of the. We're, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the action at the uh, at the actual funeral a little separately. Okay, because this issue is a little bit like memories of the comedian. That's kind of how it is. That's right. how it's presented to me, right? And these are these are how the individual characters recount their experiences of the comedian. Right. Um, so I want to say that the only thing I'll say is there's a touch of unreliable narration here. <laughs> uh, just because, just a touch. And, you know, Silk Spectre says, I'm 65. Every day the future looks a little bit darker. And the past, even the grimy parts of it, well, it just keeps on getting brighter all the time. And then the comic cuts away and it cuts away to october something in 1940 where where there's a minuteman um there's a picture of the minuteman being taken yeah and you see this picture just it was in um it was in a comedian mm-hmm. the comedian's locker or you know where yes. he had hit his thing and also you notice the um same picture in hollis mason's house you know this is mm-hmm. a picture that just keeps on you know reoccurring and everything because the minuteman was very important to these people um mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, go ahead. So 
So it's really neat. <laughs> like you were saying about that picture, I think of the things from, and I'm, this is an aside, of the things from the Watchmen movie that they got right, I think the thing they got most right is this picture. <laughs> so if you if you Google it, you can see it. It actually they, they did a really good job putting it together. So I do want to, you know, we're you'll I have opinions about that movie. If you listen to the Nerdcyclopedia main cast, the episode W, hear him. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty well, well, about that. Believe stuff. me, we're going to cover it again. You know, so yeah, for um, sure. if you if you didn't catch it during our we 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 did the W's and, and included mm-hmm. Watchmen, but we'll go a little bit more in depth once we get to that portion during this um series of podcasts. Oh yeah, for sure. I just wanted to I just wanted to uh, express my approval of that one particular aspect of the production. <laughs> exactly. They got they got one thing right. <laughs> Zach, start counting, Zach. We're going to be on one for a bit. Uh, uh, but uh, one thing I did want to also mention too. It also goes to show that um um she's her, her point was she's getting older so you know mm-hmm. as as grounded as this universe is there she's remembering stuff she's just remembering things the the good old times and everything as because as you get older you start valuing things you start valuing physical things a lot less maybe mm-hmm. you know and memories you know become a little bit more you know valuable you know for you so in her mind you know and Lori it'll it's going to take a Lori you know a while to um to appreciate but she you know eventually she will um her mom's perspective as far as going through the costume adventure mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. we'll see that and we'll see that manifest itself throughout the um whole graphic novel yes yes so what what happens at this at this and th- and what's interesting about this picture right is what's about to happen in this book is something that is is hit, it's touched on in universe a lot it's something everyone knows about and it's because Hollis Mason wrote that under the hood book and this is one of the things he says in the book right so there's a knowledge essentially everybody involved the superheroes bought this book right and I don't know how good of a seller it was outside of that community but everyone sort of knows this event happened you know. And what happens is the uh, comedian um, attempts, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He attempts to rape Silk Spectre, right? I mean, it's uh, pretty uh, stunningly presented here as what he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they, um, you know, they all got together to take the picture. And then, you know, as um, they're just dismissing the meeting and everything, you know, comedian decides, he, you know, he wants to get a little bit more of, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of, of Sally. You got nope. that? I I lost you there for a second. I'm yeah. Sorry. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Um. He, he the comedian decides he wants to get a little bit more of Sally. Oh yeah. It's no good. So so Sally resists, and the comedian is able to overpower her. And then when he's you know uh, before he's able to complete the assault, the hooded justice comes in and um, stops it and beats him up a little bit. And then the comedian says. Uh, this is what gets you hot. This is what you like. And uh, Hood of Justice is just sort of on, disarmed by that and kind of lets him go. And keep in mind, people, this is um, while it's not, you know, visually graphic and everything. I mean, as visually um, as, as you're imagining when these as, as far as how they got the nine panel structure, the e, the different events that go into, um, you know, her pot almost getting raped and everything i mean there's blood coming out of her mouth you know he smacks her i mean this is like Mm -hmm. you know um this is like you know man-on-woman violence and everything which is (laughs) um for for a a superhero um, and a superhero comic exactly you know it wasn't something known to be done you know back then so when we we, we're going to keep on harping harping on alan moore and dave gibbons and john higgins just bringing superheroes to like the 20 um and into like the um you know adult ranges mm-hmm. yeah they let these characters grow up they're not stuck in a time loop like in the honeymooners with the simpsons you know <laughs> these characters experience a life you know they have consequences and actions and time affects them you know they get ground down by by you know the right. age Hey, you know, and and they, and they have pleasures and needs and everything and you know comedian he wanted you know he he he, he because of who he was and his makeup and personality and everything I guess he felt that he needed to um dominate you know Sally in a way he that he did in order to um to go that route because you got a room full of uh, costume adventurers already and mm-hmm. he just felt that he can actually get a, to get away with that. <laughs> and like Scott yeah. said, Hooded Justice, Hooded Justice comes in and stops him and just pretty much kicks his ass. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. <laughs> he just beats him up real good. Um, I mean, it's a harrowing. It's harrowing. Yeah. And it's, it's not. It's, it's not a situation where there's any sort of like misinterpretation or yeah. It's just a. I mean, a comedian, obviously, and I'll say this because we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the coda of this chapter is, a, is a, an installment of Under the Hood. So it's the, this actual Hollis Mason saying what happened here in this scene. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he describes he says the comedian is the worst worm of them all is what he kind of describes him as. He does not like the comedian because of this. And they kick him out of the minute then. Right. So uh, the comedian's outfit is something I want to just touch on here. I know, you know, obviously the subject matter is super serious, but we're talking about timelines and other, you know, this is sort of a thing inside of a a little doll inside of a bigger doll. Right. And I want to look at his costume here. He's wearing he's wearing yellow and purple and he's got like kind of a homemade sort of like happy, um, like drama face. You know what I mean? Right. Like the actors, the actor thing on his belt buckle. But his costume's pretty flimsy and it's just like, you know, it's just like a almost like a call it a boiler suit or a jumpsuit. Pretty much. And he doesn't have weapons. It's just he's just using his hands. Okay, um, so you know that that's kind of the situation he's in. After after Hooded Justice tells uh, Silk Spectre to, uh, for God's sake, cover yourself up, which doesn't seem <laughs> like the type of uh, nurturing uh, you know response you would hope that a, a victim of something like that would get. Right. Um, <laughs> but then we cut back to uh, you know Lori's reading the Tijuana Bible, and she says, "Oh, this is vile." Because the dude uh, said, uh, the guy in the Tijuana Bible says, oh, say, baby, this is tops, which, that's uh, that's just, a, and it's, I've never it's, heard that. Well, I mean, it's funny how it's juxtaposed with her, um, with the flashback of her almost getting raped and everything, mm-hmm. and then it cuts mm-hmm. right back to this. Uh, and, 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 and the way they structure it, it's just her, um, Sally, just remembering um and this is where Scott was talking about the reliable narrator who's mm-hmm. who's to indicate that it's, if this is exactly what she was remembering. But because of the flashback flashback, this is what we're to perceive that she's remembering what happened with her and the comedian. And then it cuts to this um, to the present where, you know, they're look, still looking at that book or sat where Julia's. I mean, I'm sorry. Lori is looking at the book. Right. So so she's kind of distracted. And like so after what uh Lori says, uh, you know, can you, st- how can you stand being degraded mother? And she just, you know, Sally's not paying attention to her. She's lost <laughs> and she's thinking about this, this time, which she right. said was a nostalgic time for her. And it, it's a juxtaposition of <laughs> like, she said the the past gets brighter all the time. And then you, you see the, like the grimiest possible story that you would you know probably be able to tell with these characters, you know? Um, so that, that's an interesting juxtaposition. And it talks, it, it speaks to how, you know, the older generation, the living, the living heroes are kind of, you know, they're looking at everything through rose colored glasses. <laughs> and this is underscored by the fact that she, the advertisement on the magazine that she's reading is for Beats uh, Descent Nostalgia, uh, which is an important branding for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, this is the type, and, and this is the type of book and comic book where every single detail matters. Like every, every single, single one. Thing. Uh, you so, got to pay attention. So if you are reading and going along for the first time, don't mm-hmm. worry if, if it's some things that you don't catch the first time around because you're going to want to go through it again. And when, oh, yeah. And that's our job that we feel on this podcast is to to um, to let you know that there is a, a really fine attention to detail in this graphic novel. Oh, yeah. It, it's something that the more you, the more you look into it, it's it's a, it's like a um, it's one of those, you know, decorative uh, boxes that lock. You know what I mean? The wood boxes you slide them apart. The puzzle right. boxes. Right. It's just like that. So every uh, time you peel, it's like an onion. Every time you peel the layer back, there's something else. Got to appreciate. Every, gotta appreciate. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, so then, <laughs> I thought this was funny. Then, and Sally, she says, uh, "Mother, why are you talking? Why are you? You know, you have this sleazeball image." And then uh, Sally says, "Like, well, at least I'm not sleeping with an H bomb." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was a that, that was a shot right there for her. <laughs> I know, right? And then you you have uh, Lori say, "John's not an H bomb, mother." You know, it's, it's cracks me up. It's funny how but, too, you know, um, um, you know, Lori calls out. Um, Rorschach's judgments and everything, but yet and still she's talking with to her mom and mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty much being judgmental on her her life too, <laughs> you know. So, mm, I mean, pop- the chauvinistic the chauvinistic attitude towards women and towards like you know what I mean the dismissive, dismissive sort of misogynistic you mm-hmm. know anti women anti women sexuality message that's that all these superheroes sort of have right. It's it's echoed in in Sally like Sally Jupiter. Has the, like has a piece of that with her, right? Right. 
And I mean, everything from the way things Rorschach says about about women, including as my as my wife pointed out, talking about her cheating welfare. <laughs> like, as, as, what did she say? Like, that's any of his business. <laughs> Rorschach, and then, Rorschach, Rorschach, boy. And then the comedian obviously here is not going to be, you know, obviously he does not respect women. And then, of course, you know, Hood of Justice saying, get up and for God's sakes, cover yourself up. Like, there's just this like... Uh, this is the attitude, you know. Yeah, yeah. It calls out to a time where, um, you know, uh, it wasn't a lot of respect for, like Scott said, and and, and women in certain positions and everything. And um, I was actually watching um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel <laughs> with mm. oh, my what a wife. Great show. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent show. We're not doing a podcast on that show now, but perhaps <laughs> we will. So, possibly, but just to, um, you know, just as as an aside, it was just, just amazed me on um, the way they did treat women in that show back in the um in back, you know back in those time periods and everything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's if 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 you're looking at a a, a way on how th- how far things have come along today it really is a stark stark different mm-hmm. absolutely and, and applies and, to this story as well yes and we're not there uh, let's, so let's not we're, we're not trying to be a woke cast today but you know we <laughs> That's not the main the main thing we want to do, but we of course bring our own you know our own mores and, and yeah, yeah. To point 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 so. pointing out differences and everything. I mean differences are differences, so you know mm-hmm. it's just a, um uh it's just it just really shows how <clears throat> excuse me how things were back then. I mean it's also it's also in my opinion an indictment of the culture surrounding superhero fandom. Right, exactly. The chauvinistic and 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 you know everybody always comments on only. You know, only Silk Spectre's outfit, right? Everyone says, "Oh, that outfit's risque. It's risque." But she's almost wearing as exactly as much clothing as everybody else. Everybody's uh, in tights, like Hollis Mason's right. outfit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. everything's form fitting. They're mm-hmm. all essentially nude. Yep, they're all heroically nude and drawn as such with like paint on their bodies. And exactly. only Silk Spectre gets hassled about that, of right? Course, Everyone because, else is just colorful. You know, she's a woman, and you know that's just the way it was, or the way mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that's something else that I I, I noticed. And it's, then it's, it's it's a deconstruction. What yes. what what they attempted to do was just deconstruction. And when we're talking about deconstruction, oh man, this is this is one of the this is just it's just so many layers to um to to point out. Yeah, I mean every so I mean I don't want to rabbit hole too much on all of these on all these plot points, but I mean you know you can see how any one of these topics you can expand and add at infinitum. Exactly, um, and and that's the sign of a, a carefully constructed complex narrative mm-hmm. that 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 makes me real happy. You know, and yes. I don't even have I don't even have a PhD in <laughs> English literature, so you know I'm just a, I'm just an amateur. All right. Um. So then we cut back. Um. You know, we cut back from uh, this meeting of the Silk Spectres to this funeral of the comedian, and we get to see something from the viewpoint of Adrian Veet, and um, we see a memory of his, and this is the uh, Crime Busters 1968 meeting, and Veet is Ozymandias. He's just known as the smartest person in the world. That's like his his bit, right? Right. And he he wears gold and he wears he wears gold and purple as well, right? Right. So he has a similar sort of color profile to, uh, I mean, I'm golden era comedian, which I guess is what the you know Moore and, and Gibbon were doing. They were they were spoofing golden era stuff, right? Right. And so they have this meeting, and it's called by Captain Metropolis, whose name is Nelson Nelson Gardner, mm-hmm. and he says, "Listen, there's a lot of problems in this world, and we can fix them. And we're gonna fix them together." <laughs> and the comedian basically says and says. <laughs> He uses this word. He said, uh, this is bullshit. <laughs> this whole idea stinks. And he says uh, to Ozymandias, um, he says, you know, this is a joke. You know, this is in town. This guy's in town. Who cares? It doesn't mean squat because within 30 years, the nukes are going to be flying like Maybugs. He's highly cynical. Also, um, cynical. I did want to point one thing out. Note, if you mm-hmm. notice throughout this graphic novel, they don't use um, captions to um, very many captions, I should say, to describe things like a change in time. Now, mm-hmm. the only way you get an um, indication that time has changed within this <clears throat> within this flashback again through um, um, Adrian's eyes is when someone calls out the men and men disbanding in 1949. Mm-hmm. So just 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 look at just just that's just something that you know you guys just want to pay attention to. 
Um, everything you're you're not going to be handheld <laughs> throughout no. this novel. So you know, um, you see a different, uh, a bunch of different. Um, if you didn't already know, you 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 would think that this. Okay, who are these people? You know right. that we're flashing back to. Um, it's brand new. Everybody's yeah. brand new except Captain Metropolis, who looks older. Mm-hmm. And, you, and the comedian looks the comedian. totally different. You can't totally tell it's different. the comedian from the stuff you've seen before until you see his face. Until you see his face, yeah. Yeah, you can't tell. But it's um, but the Crime Busters. This to introduce this group. It's a group that you know doesn't it doesn't happen for, and we'll we'll get into the rest of the meeting here. But it's Captain Metropolis, Ozymandias, the comedian Rorschach, uh, Night Owl two, the different Night Owl, Silk Spectre two, and Doctor Manhattan, and the second most powerful member of the team, Doctor Manhattan's girlfriend. Because she can get Dr. Manhattan to do stuff. And Dr. Manhattan <laughs> is very powerful. I'm just kidding about that, obviously. <laughs> uh, so, Jenny Slater does not have any superpowers, to be clear. Uh, just one specific power that, <laughs> that we'll find out about next issue. Um, but, we, but, but, but we do see um, him just eyeing. <laughs> yeah. Because Cicely eyeing um, Lori over there. You know. Right? And Lori's only 20. She's what? No, this is, this is like 65, I think. So Lori's 16 years old. She's known to be like very young in this scene. Right. Uh, one thing that struck me about this scene is Rorschach talks in this scene. Uh-huh. And his, his, the lettering and the border of his vocal bubble right. is, nor, is normal. Right. It's not like how he is in 85. Like it right. doesn't have the jagged edges. And it's actually a sentence. Like <laughs> he says a sentence. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so obviously there's something, there's something, the intervening event that changes him between 65, 68 and, um, I guess it's 65 and 85 over those 20 years. Yeah. He didn't start out with his Batman, Christian Bill, Gruffle voice and everything. No. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he started out as Adam West Batman. <laughs> and then he turned into Christian Bale Batman. Oh man. And yeah. this Batman here, this really smart Batman is kind of like the Batman from the video games. That's mm. Ozymandias. He's a video <laughs> game Batman. He's got it all figured out. Uh, so, <laughs> so a comedian says, um, you know, this is a useless, this is an exercise in futility because everything is going to burn. And then he burns, he burns Nelson's like, <laughs> Nelson has like a, uh, a little like graph or <laughs> a little infographic and comedian right. just sets it on fire and leaves and says, this is dumb. <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah, probably pretty much saying what's on a lot of other people's minds and everything. And, you know, everybody yeah. just starts to leave. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then everybody leaves. And then Captain Metropolis says, somebody has to do it. Don't you see? Somebody has to save the world. And then we cut to, from Veet remembering this to the exact same position, the priest talking about, you know, the comedian. Or saying the, the prayers, of you know, the burial prayers. And then we're treated to uh, another little jump forward in time to fireworks and the victory party in the victory in the Vietnam War. Because yeah, this was Dr. Manhattan remembers. <laughs> so this is Dr. Manhattan's memory. And this this is different than everybody else's any other memory that we see when it's Dr. Manhattan's. Right. Because Dr. Manhattan experiences time different than everybody else because he doesn't experience time. Like he exists, like his his consciousness exists outside of time. So he experiences everything all the time that he's ever done. Yeah, and all at one time. So all at one time, a, a, a human can't even imagine just experiencing everything all at one time. So that's what Scott says. Um, time means nothing to him because he's just experiencing everything all at once. He can travel between different experiences and memories of his life. Like he, like like we go to work and we drive to you know school and we go to like you know I go to baseball games and things. So that's kind of how, how he does it. So his memory of the comedian that we share is the Vietnam War victory party in like 1972 or 73. And Dr. Manhattan, so that's a, one, a big divergence, a huge divergence in the history, right? Right. Because we didn't get a victory party in our, in our timeline. Uh, we didn't, you know, it didn't go that, didn't go the right way all the way. Um, but Dr. Manhattan showed up. And, you know, all we're seeing here is the victory party. So Nixon is on the helipad. <laughs> President Nixon's definitely going to get his third term. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, uh, Dr. Manhattan is saying, you know, uh, this, this is all a joke. What the comedian says, this is all a joke. And Dr. Manhattan says, how could you possibly fake that? Right. You know, the charged villagers, the boys with necklaces of human years, these are part of the joke. And the comedian goes, I didn't say it was a good joke. <laughs> He just says yeah. it was a joke, and 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 yeah. you you'll still see a little bit of Doctor Manhattan's humanity still in there because it's gradually 
he's gradually losing it over you know a time but when uh, mm-hmm. through uh, um, a few of his speech bubbles he's still showing um empathy you know um you know in the in these early state in this flat especially in this flashback um mm-hmm. one thing you also want to notice too this is the first time we see that smiley face the yes. you know ironic smiley face that mm-hmm. um that's pretty much the symbol of this whole graphic novel here so um that'll that'll come into play absolutely so this is the first appearance of that also eddie's got gray hair he's got gray hair around his temples and uh one thing i wanted to mention i noticed this actually just today and so you know like i said i've read this a bunch <laughs> i noticed something new today <laughs> okay um in that crime busters meeting he mm-hmm. has a baton on his right hip right huh. okay and, the, and obviously here because of what's about to happen he has a gun Ah, so he's okay. getting es- his, ah, like the, his violence is escalating. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> so it's and a continuing right. escalation. Wow, baton and then a um actual gun on his right. Yeah. His, um. Ah. Okay. I was yeah. proud of myself for noticing that one. Oh, that's good. Congratulations but, to you there. Bro. Toot toot. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, since the war is over, Eddie says, "I'm getting out of here as fast as I can." And the uh, Vietnamese woman that he's impregnated comes in and says, "You can't just do that." And he says, "Watch me." And so she says, uh, I think you're going to remember us as long as you live. And he, she smashes a bottle and gouges his face, cuts him on the left, on the, what, the right side of his face. Slice. Slice in a, in a, in a sort of a diagonal motion in exactly the same place and manner that Silk Spectre one scratched him in 1940, which, right. which was the, the, the action that tipped him over the edge to deciding to assault her is the way I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. And then he... He says, you hurt my face, and then he shoots her. And Dr. Manhattan does not stop him. Remember when we were talking about um, elements of humanity or empathy? This is Mm -hmm. a turning point for Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Manhattan is just sitting there and watches it happen. And Eddie Blake says, you know, you could have changed the gun into steam or the bullets into mercury or the bottle into snowflakes. You could have teleported either of us to goddamn Australia, but you didn't lift a finger. And then comedian says, "You know, you're losing touch. You're losing touch, Doc. You're turning into a flake. A flake. God help us all." <laughs> because, and this is some, there's more detail on what happened in Vietnam, so I don't want to spoil it. But uh, Eddie is right to be uh, worried <laughs> about Doctor Man losing touch. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was pretty much one of the first ones to actually get the joke, you know, mm-hmm. and, and see it. So. Um, to have him actually realize it, maybe even before Doctor Manhattan does, right. is a is a pretty deep thing. Yeah, so it's that his worldview. You know, he does have some of that world, like that. Uh, you know, the, to the comedian, what is a big deal is like it's like uh, nuclear holocaust, right? Everything right. under that is sort of like the comedian's like what you know, n- none of that even matters because right. we have this overarching moral tragedy that's inevitable. So anything I do is sort of irrelevant, and so it's a joke. Yeah, so this I is what mean, he means by the joke. And it's and it's and not to, to I mean it's pretty disturbing what comedian just did here. He oh, killed oh, a pregnant woman. You're right. Let's <laughs> you not know. discount but not only a pregnant woman, but pregnant with his child. With his child, oh, man, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty brutal for her superhero um uh, comic con. <laughs> exactly, and let's also unpack this. So he he shot this woman, and it, when he says what he said about Doctor Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the impression that he thought Dr. Manhattan would stop him. So he uh, did this because he figured, well, you know, nothing bad could happen anyway. Doc's right. here. He's right. just going to, you know, do with all, you know, like turn the bullets into mercury and nothing will happen. Right. And he doesn't. And he's just, and I think that that's, that's a little shocking to, to the comedian. Right. Because I think he's, he's <clears> pinned, <throat> I think maybe the reason he's in Vietnam is he's pinned some of his hope that nuclear Armageddon won't happen on Dr. Manhattan's ability to tip the balance of power. Right. And and Doctor Manhattan not intervening in this case is bad news for the community. It's bad news. It's just bad it, news all around because it's the first sign of what you know, first sign of things to come regarding you know, um, just Doctor Manhattan's whole whole um, um, grip on humanity on his humanity period and how mm-hmm. he feels about it. Exactly. And if he can't be bothered to save one life here, there's no guarantee he can be bothered to save a billion lives later. <laughs> so that's what's terrifying to me about it. Right. Uh, probably now, to the comedian too. Yes, and the comedian, that's right, because the comedian sees, it's, it's almost like he, he's talking about getting out of Vietnam, and he's almost talking about, like, he's almost optimistic talking about Nixon winning re-election, right. and talking about how things, you know, could you imagine how bad it would be if we didn't win this war? Right. 
So he's talking like that, and then this then this event happens, and obviously his you know uh, moral lapses to use Rorschach's term. <laughs> I don't know how you moral lapse away a, a cold blooded you know mm-hmm. murder, but uh, you know it, it's it's it's. It's almost like he thought there. It's almost like he thought he was playing bumper pool here, and he like wasn't. <laughs> like so, he doesn't think that his morality matters because Doctor Manhattan can just undo whatever he does. So, so that is you know, that, that's a big. I think that's a turning moment for Doctor Manhattan. You can tell again because he's standing in the same position here as he was uh, in Vietnam, and remember he's right. experiencing this memory as he's standing there. He's not remembering it. Right. He's simultaneously living both realities. Right. So that's that's the thing about Doctor Manhattan is that he does whatever he wants, and then we are treated to our first our first actual scene of of uh, Night Owl two in action. So we've seen Dan Dryberg in like meetings, but we've not seen him in the the suit being you know what I mean, right? Actually, <clears throat> being Gadget um, Batman, right? Exactly, <laughs> doing doing his thing. You know, he has yeah. a full whole full owl um mobile or or <laughs> or ship or whatever, right? And we and we see um. You know, uh, comedian in his mask, in his full mask, with That's right. um, with Night Owl um, controlling the ship. So now it's 1977, and this is these are the keen the keen act riots. There's police strike in New York City, and you know the people are rioting because it seems like you know the the government won't get rid of these masked vendors. It's keeping the police from doing their job, and so the police say, and this is actually. A quote from a newspaper on page 17 of this issue. Cops say, let them do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. nobody is coming to help anybody. And, um, you know, the Night Owl 2 and the comedian kind of sort of sweep in in the, in the ship, which is called Ar- Archie or Archie. Right. And they start saying disperse. And the comedian is wearing his leather armor. He's got his smiley face. He's got the leather mask because now his face has a big scar on it. So that's another, you know, a further, you know, obscuring himself, right? Mm-hmm. Further enhancing himself. He's now got guns, a baton, grenades, and like a, it looks like maybe a grenade launcher that he's, oh, like, he says he's, he's loading with rubber bullets. He, he's in full G.I. Joe mode. Yep. And then someone hits him with a can and he says, that's it. <laughs> Starts throwing <laughs> tear gas. <laughs> he was just waiting for the opportunity. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he starts, you know, they start going nuts. He said, we're protecting. You know, Night Owl 2 says, protection from who? He says, from themselves. And the uh, <laughs> Night Owl says, the country is disintegrating. What's happened to America? What's happened to the American dream? And the comedian says, it came true. You're looking at it. One thing. Which is, go ahead. Go ahead. That's some, yeah, which is quite an indictment of, you know, the American dream, if that's true. Exactly. And um, we also get someone. Um, uh, we, we get a bunch of um, uh, people doing graffiti about who watches the Watchmen. Or, mm-hmm. or actually, they didn't even finish it. It's just who watches the watch, you know. So the bigger question of maybe even this whole whole graphic novel here, if these are so-called costume adventure heroes who are supposed to be protecting the people, as, um, as um, Night, Owl, Night Owl asks, who watches them? Right. Who protects us from them? <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 a um it's a roundabout way of saying okay, why do we need these superheroes? Because if they go out on uh, um out of the rails or go offhand and um just do some crazy stuff like you know uh, Doctor Manhattan might possibly would. Who watches them? Who controls them? Who you know who protects us from them? Who watches ex- the Watchmen? They exist outside of civil liberties. They don't have due process. And their punishments are immediate and violent. Exactly. So they violate like, like five or six, to do what they do, they violate five or six of the, the, of the amendments in the Bill of Rights. You know what I mean? Like they have to. Illegal right. search and seizure, all that stuff. So, you know, you can, you can see how in a situation where there is no, you know, no controlling mechanism, they can get out of hand. It, it, just, it just escalated years and years and years all the way until 77 when a Kenex, um, you know, mm-hmm. started to, um, you know, take place. They had to put a mechanism, a mechanism in place in order to control these um, costume adventurers from doing that, from mm-hmm. um, taking away people's civil liberties and stuff. Yep. So they so they basically outlaw them here. This is the this is the riot that results in the Keen Act, which outlaws mass vigilantism uh, directly, except for a certain approved um, a certain approved mass adventurers. There's two of them, so like the comedian, <laughs> like the comedian and his buddy, right, <clears throat> Doctor Manhattan. And uh, so so we're then treated to the end of the funeral. 
uh, Dan flips the uh, the uh, the pin, the happy face pin, the Rorschach bottom. He throws, sort of throws it in the grave. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a man in a hat brings a bunch of roses. And Veet, Dan, and Dr. Manhattan all shake hands and go their separate ways. Uh, the Lord's Prayer plays as the man with the red hair and the, the end is nigh sign watches uh, on. There he goes again. There he is again. He's Nevy. Yeah, yeah. First we've seen him, you know, walking across Comedian's Blood at the very um beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> now, he's just in it. And we see him in a couple places across, you know, in the streets in the um last chapter. And now we see him here in the funeral. Hmm, he's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's, uh, he's uh, ubiquitous. So the next scene is Moloch. So Rorschach pays Moloch a visit. And this is, um, <clears throat> this is uh, current. This is a current scene. This is happening in the real, in the real time, the same day as a comedian's funeral, but right. after. Right. Moloch comes home, makes himself some tea, you know, maybe looking to get a little milk out and <laughs> put a little milk in the tea. And then Rorschach pops out of his fridge. <laughs> and, screaming, and he goes, ah! Oh, how did Rorschach fit in there like that? He just... <laughs> He's very patient. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I guess so, man. I hope he had the um, door cracked. Right. <laughs> Rorschach is not respectful for locks. He doesn't, he doesn't respect their ability to, to keep him out. Well, no, um, I'm, I'm talking about the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, the refrigerator. <laughs> He He's must have had it cracked on, you know, so he, he, could, he could continue to live and everything. So, yeah, but yeah, like Scott said, he comes oh, you're busting out. That way. Oh, man, I missed that. I'm so sorry. Man. I'm being dense right now. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, you'd have to leave it open. I was thinking you were like talking, like maybe like uh, Moloch has one of those really funny novelty fridge alarms. Uh, right, you know? right, right. Every time right. you open it up, it oinks at you or something. <laughs> And Rorschach's just making it go oink a bunch, and he's like kind of laughing. I don't know. Uh-huh. Rorschach wouldn't do that. He's not a mirthful person. Not at all. <laughs> so, so first, first Moloch denies being Moloch, right? And then Rorschach says, "No, no, it's definitely you." Right. And then um, he says, "I heard you return." He says, "You went to a funeral today. Why'd you go?" And he's like, "I don't even know." And then you know, Rorschach sort of threatens him a little bit more. <laughs> he says, "He says, okay, he came a week ago. The comedian came to visit Moloch, right?" And the comedian's visit with Moloch is terrifying because it's uh, unbidden. And it's in the middle of the night, and he's crying. He's like blubbering, like a like a child. Yeah, just rambling on, rambling on and on about all cleaning up the waterfronts, and everything was a big joke. And then everything going on about he's like, "You're involved in it. I'm involved in it." You know, I never should have looked out that airship. <laughs> like all this <laughs> random, like crazy stuff. And he says, "I did terrible, terrible things." And then he says, "Oh, mother." I did things in Nam. I shot kids, and he says, "Oh, mother, forgive me." He's like, "If I if I knew anything about this, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it." He's yeah, like terrified. That this this is pre- this is pretty much at the point where comedian is just he's come to he's it's, it's come to Jesus moment, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. he's come to terms of on everything he's done in his life and everything, and it's come down to this, and he still can't believe what's about to happen is going to happen because it just blows yep. his mind. And he realized that he realizes the joke of the situation um, is the actual reality. Yep. And he says he's having this, I think the whole point of having us see all these terrible, these terrible memories of him, right. Mm-hmm. Is, is to, to tell us like, this is a, this guy's tough. Like, he's a yeah. very tough guy. Right. And he is like knee quakingly terrified. Right. So there's like he's just like out of his mind looking for <laughs> opening out his ex enemy's sock drawer for booze. Out of everything that he's been through, you know, he's you know almost raped women. Probably you know, yeah, we just we don't see his whole life. But thank um, goodness, you know, <laughs> right? Um, he's killed um, women with um, you know his chill, you know that you know hell his, his child and everything, and you know he's done all sorts of crazy stuff throughout his life, and then he comes to this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much just run, you know, rambling on to, you know, a villain. Morlock was, you know, Morlock was a villain, right? Yep, he was. And and they're saying he's having this moral conundrum mm-hmm. after all this time. Mm-hmm. He's having a moral conundrum. Like I can't. He's having. He's saying what's happening. He, something is happening that he's aware of that is unconscionable to him. Right. And his his entire career, he has been known for having the most extreme methods and being mm-hmm. the most extreme, like violent direct mm-hmm. you know mass adventure the most cynical too 
Yes, the whole time. Most cynical. Like, I'll get mine, you get yours, it's all a joke, blah, blah, blah. That's him. So that's, you know, that's that's kind of where we leave the comedian and we leave sort of the uh, the action of what's going on with him. Uh, Rorschach, he's... Well, uh, the, back oh, up yeah. a little bit here because oh, sure. he says one thing in this, on the page 23, he's like, you know, um, you know, old mother, forgive me. Um, I mean, what's funny? What's so goddamn funny? You know, I don't get it. Somebody explain it to me. Somebody explain it to me. Come on now. That's a... <laughs> mm-hmm. somebody, somebody had to explain to him the joke that he thought he was in on the whole, yep. his whole life pretty much, right? Yep. Yep, he's saying this is much worse. <laughs> what, the thing he was talking about, which is thermonuclear war, right. which he's mentally prepared himself for. Mm-hmm. What he is, he is afraid of something worse than that. Right. And he's a guy. <laughs> I'll just. This is a dude that just told Doctor Manhattan his business. <laughs> I mean, and it's and and you know something that we'll come to understand about Doctor Manhattan is that. That's a that's a thing. That's right. something to do, and uh, Eddie knows that it's a thing to do. Right. So him being this afraid is a intentional juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now his he's now Rorschach's still continuing to interrogate uh, Moloch. He says your story sounds unbelievable, so it's probably true. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you just make that up. On this there's no way you can just make that up. So you know. <laughs> and then Rorschach. Then he, he says, "Come on, man, I'm clean. I was in prison. I'm out. You know, I'm, I'm clean." And then he says, "Oh yeah, well, I found some drugs." And he goes, "Drugs? What are you talking about?" And it's like fake, fake medicine made out of apricot pits for cancer. And he's like threatening to bust him for it. And he says, "I'll let this one slide, but I'm going to report the company." No. You're so like judgmental, Rorschach. I swear. It, it's not just judgmental. Like, what's this guy gonna do? Like, you're gonna send him to? You're gonna try to get him arrested? He's got like, well, how much time does he have left? Exactly. He, says he has right? cancer. He's got the kind of cancer you die from. <laughs> he's using a. He's not selling this medicine. He's not purveying it to other people, right? Not at all. Like, he's not the at end all. consumer. The reason snake oil medicine is illegal is because it's harmful and because you know it gives people false hope, not because someone's. In apricot bits, you know that's not why. That's not why it's bad. Right, right. But Rorschach doesn't see it that way. It's either no. this or that. It's either a crime or it isn't a crime. <laughs> and if it's a crime, it's a crime. Right. And then Rorschach on the night of October sixteenth, nineteen eighty five, in his walks, journal. In his journal, he walks home through the red light district. He says uh, he's been offered Swedish love and French love, but not American love. <laughs> American love, like Coke and green glass bottles, they don't make it anymore. <laughs> which is just such a bleak bleak bleak, bleak thing to say uh, then he goes to the comedian's grave to pay his respects to the comedian uh, without fuss is what he says right and that's because he admires the comedian and I think that's that's something that I did not pick up on the first couple times I read through this mm-hmm. he read he, he respects the comedian because he respects the comedian's methods he shares the comedian's dim view of women and like so so the the, the violence against women which is a big you know should be a big problem for any you know any superhero any moralist anyway. Uh, Rorschach sees it as less of a problem because he doesn't you know he shares that sort of uh, misogynistic worldview. Well, comedian always shot it straight, so I mean that was one thing that uh, Rorschach always admired about him. You know mm-hmm. when it when it was time to tell the truth. Yeah, and, and as we see how um, uh, Rorschach sees the world, it's either this or that. He always right. appreciated. You know, the um, the simple, you know, simple way comedian um, just showed the truth about the world or told the mm-hmm. truth about the world. So mm-hmm. that was something that he definitely appreciated out of Edward Blake. And then there's a real and then we see a sort of a uh, it's like a montage of the beating that killed the comedian intercut with flashbacks of all the different memories we've seen of the comedian. This 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 page here is great. One it's one amazing. thing I appreciate about it is the fact that it's not different um, <clears throat> as as the the final four panels. You know, as far as like Scott said, the montage and everything is mm-hmm. different. Um, it's the same. It's the same artwork, but um, it's just in muted colors now. Mm-hmm. You know, to show and to indicate it is a montage of the different time periods of you know the comedians. Um, uh, different uh, points in the comedian's life and everything. When we see with the, um, you know, whoever kicked down the door to interrupt him, you know, before his last minutes, um, him um, attempting to rape, you know, um, Sally Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And then also him again being hit 
<laughs> during in, in his last days, and then also intercutting intercutting with the, um his time with the Crime Busters and everything. Mm-hmm. And it also goes all the way until the very end where he was actually um, pushed out the window by whoever killed him. Yep. It's the end of the comedian. And uh, he was a complicated man. And then there's a... What does he say? He said, uh, Rorschach tells the, the Pagliacci joke. <laughs> it's a, a pretty famous one. I won't, I won't recount it because the movie... This is another thing the movie did pretty well. So if you want to hear a person read it, you can do that. But you should read that. You know, I'll, I'll mangle the punchline. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so anyway, I'll say something for people that want to actually read. Uh, and then uh, he says curtains, and that's just a red panel, right? Mm-hmm. And indicates the end. And it's almost like what's interesting about this panel. And again, we know we, we get we see more of this uh, in a future issue. But this little this end here is sort of how Doctor Manhattan kind of experiences things, all at the same time, right? Right. The past, the present, and the future, all at once. That's how he sees it. And, and then Rorschach uh, takes a rose and um, from the roses that Moloch brought and puts it in his cup. All right. And we, um, oh, and, and, and uh, one thing we also, I also want to indicate about colors. And, you know, John Higgins, he was a colorist in this whole, um, you know, graphic novel. You mm-hmm. know, he transitions the colors all the way from, you know, regular, you know, um, from the cemetery all, and they just slowly develop into this red, which mm-hmm. is on, on panel 27. The last panel is more red, especially the reddish on um, the comedian as he goes out the window. Yep. And it just goes all the way to the curtains where it's just all red and then transitions into the rose, you know, that, um, that, that Rorschach eventually puts on his lapel. <clears throat> So it's just amazing how, you know, they use the colors to um, to further the story where like me and Scott was saying, you really don't it, comic books back then. You really weren't. You were just using colors to to enhance like the, um, you know, what what people really look like or, you know, what, what we thought superheroes were and what have you. But to really tell the story in colors, like how this graphic novel does, is just amazing. It's it's a. It's like the difference, and I think that some of it is production scheduling for, you know, they would have like two dudes would do a comic and it would take, you know, they have one, one issue a month, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that has, that time deadline thing is a, is a crunch. And I think it's like the difference between a, like a, you know, like a, I don't know, not to talk about this particular company in a negative way, but it's the difference between like McDonald's and like, you know what I mean? A really like high end steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Because like McDonald's, everybody can access it and it's good. Everyone knows like what it is and it's good and it's fine. But, you know, the high-end steakhouse, not every, you can't do it all the time. Right. But when you put the extra, you know, when you do the extra resources, it's really a different experience. Yep, it sure is. The graph, um, the chapter ends, and I'm up while the dawn is breaking. Even though my heart is aching, I should be drinking a toast to absent friends, which is what this chapter was called, instead of these comedians. <laughs> Elvis Costello. Oh, man. Hey, yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> mm. And uh, after this, there's a coda before issue three, and it's uh, basically the third chapter of Under the Hood, third and fourth chapters, which are, um, you know, the chapter that recounts, you know, the forming of the Minutemen and, and um, you know, Hollis Mason becoming uh, the Night Owl one. Um, some of the commentary about, so the, the Minutemen are uh, Hooded Justice, who we've discussed has, wears a noose and a hood. Mm-hmm. And he's a Nazi, <laughs> kind of a Nazi. He's expe- it's said that he expressed opinions of approval towards the Third Reich before <laughs> Pearl Harbor. That's how Hollis Mason uh, expressed, expressed that. He is dead, and he disappeared during the Red Scare. Uh, Captain Metropolis, or Nelson, also dead, right? Dead in a car accident. I don't know if he says that here, but he is, so I'll just spoil that for you. Right. Happened before the action of the show. It's not really something that's gone into in a lot of detail. Uh, Dollar Bill worked for the bank, who designed his costume for him, and his cape got stuck in a revolving door in 1947 and got shot in point-blank range. <laughs> it, shows you, it shows you the reality of what these, these heroes went through. It's something as little as your cape getting caught in a... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just caught like that, and all of a sudden, you know, that just ends your whole career and life. Yeah, I mean, he said, you know, Paulus uh, <clears throat> says, uh, you know, Dollar Bill is like the nicest guy I ever met. Really missed Dollar Bill a lot. Said it was terrible. Hmm. If he never had, if he had just designed his own costume, he says he'd still be alive. Uh, is what he says. And then Night Owl's retired. He's the author of the book. There's Mothman. Mothman, crazy. 
Mm-hmm. He's crazy. Uh, Silhouette was mur- murdered by an ex-villain after her retirement, and I'll save the details on that for you guys to read on your own. And then uh, the comedian, he says, the comedian was a, was a bad apple, was a worm in the apple, then he made a name for himself in the Pacific. Well, I would assume through <clears throat> uh, violence, as he is holding, uh, I believe, um, in that picture that he's pictured at the end of this in the book, and um, he is, uh, he's got a few things he's looted from, obviously, dead uh, Japanese right. soldiers, including a flag and a hat and, you know, a few, a few items from... That you can only really get one way at that time. <laughs> so, what? and that's who the Minutemen were. And one thing Hollis, you know, points out in this particular chapter, um, he's pretty much, I guess, justifying, you know, their actions and everything, despite their flaws. I mean, which is really, you know, something that they had, you know, as he points out, um, you know, um, Hooded Justice had the whole, you know, Nazi thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Metropolis, you know, he was he had gone on record making statements about black and Hispanic Americans yeah. that were, bu- you know, viewed as like, you know, really racial, you know, racially prejudiced, you know, prejudice, pre- prejudice and inflammatory. Yeah. So he got caught on that. Um, you know, some of the heroes that had sexual hangups and stuff. That's something that you just don't hear about or read, re- you know, read about, especially back then. You know, mm-hmm. um, as far as like, you know, they're doing right hangups and stuff. You know, somewhere like unstable and just just straight up crazy. And, you know, he's just pretty much saying, OK, we had they had their flaws, but they were trying to do something or what they thought was good, mm-hmm. you know, before it just all got out of hand. And this is just he's pretty much going throughout the, um, you know, um, novel or his particular not a novel within a novel, <laughs> a graphic novel <laughs> within a no, the novel within a graphic novel. I'm um, right. talking about um, his his what he thought about the Minutemen, his perspective. Yeah, he says they're all extreme personality types, and that's true. I, I mean, you, yeah, I, pretty like, much. Like we, you know, we jokingly say about Batman all the time. Like, it, you have to be a crazy person to want to do that. <sighs> yeah, you know, pretty much. Not, no, normies be... <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Sociopathic. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just that. So the, you know that that's kind of yeah, it's what it is. So yeah. so that is essentially a recap. That's issue two. Watchmen. That is issue two, guys. Um, right. Yeah. Um. I. It's. it's it, that was a very good chapter right there. <clears throat> and it was, and it, it tells, it really adds a lot of depth to the story, right. because the story now becomes, you know, in chapter one, it's almost like this this close-in murder mystery, mm-hmm. and then in chapter two, expands it to a, you know, I mean, we, we're, we're globe-trotting power politics, you know, the whole future history of this world is changed by the, re, you know, by Dr. Manhattan, and that's just like a tangential, like, mm-hmm. uh, glance right. at the fat, at all these things that he's that he's done. Yeah, it builds out the world pretty good, um, you know, through the context of the different characters at a funeral. You know, it builds out, you know, everybody's experiences and perspectives of these main, um, you know, characters. And mm-hmm. it really does, a, um, you know, Alan Moore and, you know, Dave Gibbons do a really good job in conveying, and John Higgins, I don't want to keep not mentioning him, um, you know, of, um, of, telling this story you know um and we're only in the second chapter right all these characters have so much depth and they've conveyed it so economically mm-hmm. you know they're all they're all jump they jump out the off the page at you um so that's that that's you know that's one of the great things about this this uh this story is yep, that yep. it's you know the more you look at it the more the, it was so carefully put together that everything every single thing you find in it is uh is an easter egg pretty much yeah, and pretty much um, hopefully that you guys, you know, find out the um, or, you know, uh, uh, appreciate the complexities that it um, that came into, you know, putting this all together and everything. So mm-hmm. as Scott said, you know, said um, we'll continue, you know, the next um, podcast talking about, you know, chapter three. Mm-hmm. Chapter three is an interesting chapter. Uh, it will be called The Doctor is Out. um one of it one question i have for you before we go before we sign Mm -hmm. off and start doing the uh you know the hey you know here's our names and stuff um i i I, I can't this came to me today when i was reading through this chapter again before Uh we did this okay uh i got the inkling that eddie blake is the one who sent her that pornography (laughs) do you think it's possible that eddie blake is the one who sent silk specter that tijuana bible and who's been like trying to buy her like her, you know, her memorabilia and stuff. That's as a, good a continuing obsession. That's a that's a great theory there. You know, they uh, as we'll come to find out. You know, um, it wasn't it wasn't straight black and white with them too. Right. <laughs> so um, we'll we'll say some of that for uh, you know the um, future podcast. But um, 
as Scott alluded to, you want to if you if you have any comments and, you know, just want to um, just get some feed, give us some feedback, period. Um, email us at watching Watchmen and Nerd Cyclopedia. Um, hit us up on Twitter at Watchmen Podcast. That's one. No T at the end. That's podcast with one S. Um, and also Neurocyclopedia at our regular, you know, um, Twitter. And also you can hit us up on Facebook. We got a Facebook, um, you know, group put, you know, being put together. It's called Sam and Scott um, are watching Watchmen. So, um, how did you come up with that title? <laughs> <laughs> Name of the podcast. Um, so, yeah, just hit us up on Facebook as well and join our group. You know, we love to, 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 to um, get your feedback there as well. Um, and um, you got any other, other places you want to hit, hit your stuff up at, Scott? Uh, right now, I think that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm good with the podcast stuff. I will say, you know, we call our people nerd psychos. We'd love to have you as a nerd psycho if you like what you hear. Smash subscribe, you know, go ahead and rate us five stars. Uh, please do, our, please our do. one rule <laughs> is that it better be five stars or you get the business. The business. And if you don't know what the business is, let me tell you something. You don't <laughs> want to know what the business is. It's the business. See you when we see you. See ya.